I wish I had done literally anything else but watch this movie because I just I feel like I got absolutely nothing out of it. Well, it's not nothing. good, like you said. Like it's emptiness. not offensive, but it's also not so bad. It's good, which we hope for exactly. out of these canon movies. That's exactly. exactly why we're doing this series. We're expecting, we're hoping so it's bad so it's good, so we enjoy it. We get to pick on it and enjoy I'll it. I'll say it one last time. It's so lifeless. The Epic Film Guys podcast. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Epic Film Guys podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, the party is over. He's back. The he Epic Film the Guys the podcast. <laughs> he said that he sucked the blood from the penis and the scrotum and then put the balls in his mouth. Oh, God in heaven. He found his way back here. We had this thing. We talked to Paige about it last week when she was on the show. Thank you, Paige, of Elm Street Radio and of the Fred Heads documentary. We were just going to be booting you off the show permanently and just having Paige come in. I mean, that's... I don't know what happened to that. I think we forgot to remind her of it or There's nothing wrong her. with, yeah, a, a great female voice being on the show. We need to get more awesome female voices on I the agree. Epic Film Guys podcast. I agree. Ladies. We, for, yeah, the longest time we had a lot of them and just, you know, I mean... We would keep, we would love to have you guest host on the show, ladies. So uh, female podcasters out there, if you're listening, let us know. Uh, we would love to have you guest, especially if you want to watch... If you want to watch canon movies, and if you want to bask in the presence, ladies and gentlemen, of the one and only beautiful god of podcasting himself, oh. mm-hmm. ladies and gentlemen, I never play the OG Loisaw sound drop that much anymore, but there it is. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> you, you earned the laugh track on that one, I feel. So, Justin's back from vacation. We only managed to get rid of him for one week, but uh, again, thank you, Paige, for stepping in to review The Five Bloods and Artemis Fowl with Loisos. And then, of course, we had, I think, the, the longest, even longer than Death Wish 3, somehow, longest hashtag canon quarantine discussion and analysis of a film ever in The Last American Virgin. Go listen to that if you haven't listened to it. Uh, it turned out pretty well. I'm really big. I'm a really big uh, fan of it. What a story, Mark. Thanks, Tommy. Uh, so, Justin, how was vacation? It was good, actually. Um, very relaxing. My wife and I went to the place that I proposed to her, which is Long Beach Island, Beach Haven, New Jersey. Um, it's a place I've mentioned on the show year in and year out because I go at least once every summer. She's been going there since she was a kid, and I proposed to her on that beach exactly eight years ago. And uh, we were celebrating our seventh wedding anniversary, and we uh, went during the first week, Nick, of them reopening restaurants and bars. And it was a very interesting sight to see. Um, we stayed at like a beach resort that had like a bar outside Literally outside, we had like an oceanfront room, and you could see the bar and all the people hanging out. And the day we got there, it was literally like a fucking concert. Like that many people were out there drinking and having a great time eating. No masks in sight except for the workers. Um, but it was a fucking blast. We went down there. I got pretty 
pretty juiced up and everything, and I ate some amazing seafood. Uh, man, that crab-filled lobster I had at Tucker's Tavern was just, oh, uh, man. And this this new restaurant opened up, and I'm not going to go super deep into it, but I want to give a shout-out to Parker's Garage and Oyster Saloon on the island. They're new, and they gave me the best meal I've ever had on that island. Um, part of it is, like, built onto the water in the bay side of the island, and it's just absolutely beautiful. So plenty of drinks, plenty of relaxation, uh, plenty of smoking weed on my porch in our room. And uh, I watched, while in room, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. I thought as a kid I was a big fan of that movie. And re-watching it, I realized how fucking awful it is. <laughs> I, I, I Seriously, I was shocked. I was like, it came on. It started mm. at like 8.30 or something. And Daniel was like, oh, oh, we'll watch this. I was like, yes. I love this movie as a kid. And the more and more we watched it, the more and more she was critiquing the hell out of the movie. And I was just listening to her. Um, also watched uh, a, another watch of The Departed while I was on the island because that was on TV This as is well. like the one time ever Justin's nostalgia boner has failed him. Normally, he's got that uh. thing so rock hard whenever he's watching something that he loved as a child. Like when he sees really shitty baby turtle puppets in that fucking Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movie, he's still blowing loads over it. Dude, even, even Alan Rickman's epic mullet couldn't save the movie mm. for me. But overall, thank you for asking. It was a great time. Um, just very relaxing and good to get back out into normal. Like uh, it felt normal. You know, you walk down the sidewalk, you see people, you say hello. And, uh, you know, when you go into certain places, you do wear a mask and, you know, you got to do what you got to do per COVID restrictions. But I had a great time and I, I just love that place so much. It's so chill and so relaxing. So, but we're here to talk about movie related stuff and no, no i'm on yes i, I yes. didn't sign up for this shit two things landed today um one as equally exciting as it is saddening two things happened voice house why don't we start with the sad news first I'll, I'll throw it to you on uh what got reported today so very sad news indeed uh, joel schumacher filmmaking icon uh passed away at the age of 80 Fuck cancer, by the way. Can we can we just go there and just say fuck yeah, cancer? Yeah. We do yes, every we single. That's why episode. we raise money for it every yeah. goddamn year. Every yeah, every year. So I mean, it was he had a, a year long bout with cancer. He died at the age of eighty, which you know he lived a great life. He directed plenty of amazing classic films. Um, you know, as we talked about with, with our pre roll earlier on tonight, uh, his Batman movies get a lot of shit. He gets remembered for those the most, but. Let's not forget that he made some of the most classic movies ever made, uh, especially his vampire horror teen thriller, The Lost Boys. It's it's one of the best horror movies ever made. Literally, like it's not disputable. You can't even if if you try to say that I'm being I'm wrong saying so, you need to get your head checked. Seriously, it's one of the best movies ever. And uh, of course, Falling Down, Saint Elmo's Fire. Uh, time to kill. He he made plenty of amazing movies. I mean, after I mean, the Batman movies, it, it, it kind of hurt his career a little bit, unfortunately. Yeah, Flatliners, Eight Millimeter, Phone Booth. I mean, what a legacy! I loved Eight Millimeter. Yeah, and people, I think he has an unfair reputation due to due to the Batman movies. And I'm not going to pretend that every movie he made was a home run. A lot of his, a lot of the, his filmography is kind of mixed. Um, I think he can't direct a musical for his life <laughs> Phantom of the opera not a great musical oh, to film adaptation it did get nominated for a few oscars though i remember that so uh it, it's a very pretty movie to look at for sure 
um, especially when it comes to Emmy Rosam's face. But um, he's to be respected. I mean, to, aside from his filmmaking, he was one of the first proudly out gay filmmakers in the Hollywood studio system. And the way he, I mean, I kind of joked about it in our Batman Forever retrospective a little bit about how he kind of introduced queerness or a queer element, um, a very sexual element into the blockbuster movies that he made. Um, none of none of those films were officially queer cinema or could be labeled as such. But the fact that he, he did introduce queerness into movies, um, into his movies in an unapologetic way, I think is inspiring, something to... Uh, uh, something to be be remembered for, and I, I'm definitely very happy to see uh, the reaction that it's gotten on social media. So many people celebrating his filmography and celebrating the work that he's done, and uh, you know everything you film, just mentioned there. And on film Twitter, I'm seeing a lot of love for Batman Forever, and even a little bit for Batman and Robin. So, um, so hopefully, you guys people think can that Batman Forever retrospective was something. Just you wait until. 2017, Two more 27, yeah. whatever the fuck year it is. I don't even yeah. know. 2022. <laughs> I don't even know what year it I'm is I'm ready, anymore. baby. When, it, when that hits its 25th anniversary, we're doing like a six-hour retrospective, two hours on Bane alone in, 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 in Batman and Robin. We unapologetically love that movie and in all of its cheesy badness. We said it during the Batman Forever retrospective. It's worth saying again, it is not Schumacher's fault that the studio wanted him to direct glorified toy commercials because that's what the studio wanted him to do, basically. And, and, he, and he did a very good job of uh, for both movies and as we as we said in our Batman Forever retrospective, if you haven't listened to it yet, it's it's one of the best episodes we've done so far this year. It's gotten a great reaction from Batman fans all Which, across the world. Thank you, everybody so, that tuned in. Yes, to that thank episode. you so much uh, for all the kind comments we've gotten and all the hundreds of shares that it's gotten all over social media. Please check it out. But I did want to share something real quick that Jim Carrey tweeted because it, it felt very heartfelt. Remember, he did uh, that thriller. What was it? The number 23 yep. with Joel Schumacher. Um, he said, Joel Schumacher has passed away. He saw deeper things in me than most, and he lived a wonderfully creative and heroic life. I am grateful to have had him as a friend. And I think that's all you really need to say. I mean, he, the guy was passionate about every single movie that he stepped on the side of whenever he signed on to make it, you know? So, I mean, great filmmaker. I've always appreciated him even as a kid and now as a filmmaker. So rest in peace at the age of 80 years old, Joel Schumacher. Fuck um, cancer. Uh, that's right. 100%. We're all about fuck cancer on this show, but moving along, Nick, I'm going to let you, even though it should be me spouting off the mouth about this news. You actually saw this news. I saw you peep your little head into social media today uh, to comment about I did, it. I had, sometimes news is so big that you have to, you have to leave your self-imposed yeah. exile. It just, just to, just to make sure a, that it got posted, even though I knew it, I knew it would have, I, kn I knew there was no chance that Justin didn't already see it by the time I saw it. But I mean, yeah, it's, it, he's in talks. I don't think it's been officially, officially confirmed. He's, by a, the he's studio. only in talks. That's right. He's, yeah. my, and, and some of the stuff I've seen on social media, we've got so much to fucking dissect about all this, but uh, you know, Keaton apparently is in talks to return as Batman in some capacity uh, in the Flashpoint movie, Andy Muschietti's Flash movie that is supposed to be coming, question mark? It's been in development for literally years now at what this point. What feels like eons. Well, it feels like definite eons. But then again, th th it was one of those projects that they literally scrapped entire scripts hand over fist like time and again. And then they decided, I think, after 
like they decided to go in a different direction with the DCEU that they were going to do Flashpoint. Like that was when they decided that they were going to make it a Flashpoint movie, which is a good stepping off point if they want to make it a Flashpoint movie because Flashpoint rewrites a lot of the DC continuity in the comics. So it's a way to rewrite a lot of the movie continuity if they really feel like going into that in the thing. But I mean, Keaton back as Batman is an interesting thing. I've got a lot of thoughts about it, depending on what avenue they're going to go to. But I mean, it's it, Justin, get the fuck in here. You know, your your dick is literally exploding out of your pants to talk about this. Get in here. Well, to be fair, I mean, when the, the news landed, the first news publication that posted it was comicbook.com. So when I posted it, I, I, I literally made sure like disclaimer wise to comment to every single person because i knew all those comments were coming is this legit is this real and i said until deadline or the hollywood reporter post it you know take it within a grain of salt and then michael uslin the producer who's made all the batman movies posted it and then the hollywood reporter did post it so um i actually am not going to mention the gentleman's name but i do have a few industry insider friends, and one of them did reach out to me. I did not reach out to them first, but they reached out to me because they saw some stuff I was saying to tell me some stuff. And I guess apparently this has been known for the past week or two that Keaton has been in talks, and the talks are very serious. Uh, the price tag for the paycheck is going to be very high to get him back I mean, under obviously. the cowl. But he's always said he's interested in revisiting even when they were doing press for Dumbo last year. Um, he was coy about it, but he mentioned, you know, well, you know, whatever, if the right thing comes up or whatever, I just, I like, I like what I like. So what I've read and what I know, and I'm going to give it to you straight. So in this movie, Keaton will be back as Bruce Wayne and he'll be training a new Batgirl. So that's 100% happening. That's part of this story. I'm not sure, you know, out of the news publications, Who's confirmed that or not, but I'm telling you right straight from the horse's mouth, the information I have is he will be training a new Batgirl. Also, apparently this role is a lot bigger. People are like, it's going to be the Nick Fury of the DC. No, apparently it's a very large role. Apparently he will be an almost an equal character to the Flash in this movie. That's what I that's that's the information I got earlier that this is going to lead to other things. And I think this is finally going to be what a lot of fans have been wanting the possibility of a Batman Beyond movie. I think this may be they're they're saying that he's technically replacing Ben Affleck as Batman in the DCEU. That's what they're that's what they're going with here. I don't know if they reached out and tried to get Ben involved again, or if they were just like, hey, this is gonna be such big fucking news and everyone still knows that Keaton's the best Batman of all time, so we need to get him in here. And again, it broke the fucking internet. It's trending right now for good reason. I mean, it's huge news that you're going to get Michael Keaton back as Batman in any capacity. Um, I was also told, however, he will not be seen under the cowl and cape, which to me is regardless. You can say what you want about however they would handle the character, Nick. But bringing him back, it would be a travesty. It would be a sin to not at least see him wearing it for like a second again and do his bad voice. Like, seriously, I, I mean, mean, a lot of fans will, will go into this. I know what you're going to say, but if you're going to do it, put it in there and let people be happy about it. Maybe even let's see him be still being Batman for a portion, because when you're in that costume, it doesn't matter how old you are. I mean, I stood next to the guy and we're recording this as of you know, actually, as of right now, the date just switched. We're talking right now on the 31st anniversary of Batman 89, 
my favorite movie of all time. I mean, I stood next to the guy. You put a cowl on the guy's face, he's, it still looks like Batman. You don't see old man neck hanging, or you don't see his receding hairline that he's halfway bald, you know. You see Batman still. You're still going to have those eyes there. So, I mean, for me as a fan, if you're going to do it, do something awesome with it. Don't just... I wouldn't want to see it as a Nick Fury type of role, like him just coming in and, you know, chewing scenery as Bruce Wayne. I want to see something special if you're going to do it. I mean, it's intri- it's it's an intriguing angle to look at. It kind of depends on what they want to do with it. I will say that if if they decide to go with a – I've read a lot of those rumors on, 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 on social media and whatnot that he's going to be – either a Nick Fury type character or that he's straight up going to be replacing Batfleck as the Batman in the DCEU. It, it's, it's almost, it's a bold kind of choice for DC to give us a Batman that is not going to be fighting. Like it's, he's, I mean, obviously, I mean, we're not going to see of Keaton of his age. And I don't disagree necessarily about wanting to see him put on the suit for at least something for whatever reason, you know? Um, but, I think it, it, it'd be it'd be a bold move and they'd have to play their cards. I mean, you talk about like DC being on thin ice with with fans and with a lot of stuff like Wonder Woman and Shazam and Aquaman have bought them back like a little bit and Joker, obviously. But that's like I think DC has stepped into this kind of continuity thing now where they're doing things that are elseworlds. They're doing things that are not completely interconnected. They've abandoned wholesale going for what Marvel wants, not necessarily to say that they don't still have some connective tissue between some of their movies and whatnot, but that's where when they mentioned flashpoint flashpoint paradox, basically the gist of the story is, is the flash ends up in an alternate timeline wherein Bruce Wayne is the one that's killed by Joe chill, not Thomas and Martha Wayne, Thomas Wayne ends up becoming Batman, Batman. That's right. A gun toting fucking Batman who just straight up murders people and, uh, Martha Wayne actually ends up becoming the Joker in that timeline. Um, I like if, if they wanted to really if, like if you wanted to give me Keaton as Thomas Wayne's Batman in that alternate timeline, I could see like really enjoying that more almost. And I posted that on social media when I when I commented back to it. I don't necessarily know if I just want to see him hanging out in the Batcave or hanging out in the Watchtower or whatever thing they come up with for him to do whatever while all the other heroes, if even, and you know what, I'm sure whatever Batgirl property they put together would and could be absolutely great. I'm sure that they'll, you know, like there could be a lot of really, really good things and a lot of good avenues to take with that. But like, if you're going to throw all this money at Keaton, you're literally going to spend so much fucking money to get him back for how many films to have him be like whatever. And I'm sorry, but if that's true, if they want him to be as big of a player in a flashpoint movie as the flash, fuck you. It's flash's movie. Like that's the whole fucking point of the story is the flash. Like if they want to do that, if you want to bring him back and like give him his own fucking movie, then well, that's what I'm saying movie where he's training a Batgirl like by itself. It's an interesting choice, and it's kind of confusing at the same time because we know the Batman is still shooting. We know that the studio knows that Pattinson's getting a lot of hate. He's said a lot of dumb shit. He's pissed me off as a fan. Let's well, just make he's that not clear. getting as much hate as you're claiming, I think. No, I know I, that you're I, upset about it, I, but. I, well, no, he's getting 
a lot of hate. I live in the Batman realm, the Batman fan realm. So 100% he's getting more hate than I'm even claiming. Uh, but I was going to throw it to you. Um, don't give me that look. You know I know what the fuck I'm talking about here. I live in this shit every single day in Batman, okay? Um, but I was gonna I was gonna throw it your way in this case because Ezra Miller isn't getting good press lately. Apparently he's still getting heat for slapping a girl at a press junket or some shit. So is this he, like shoved her down to the ground? Well, whatever he did. Cho- I, at first I heard it was choked. I didn't watch the stupid video. I just heard that he assaulted or attacked a girl. So he's still set to be the Flash in this movie. Is this Warner Brothers' way of being like, hey, try to forget about all that. We're, we're still going to give the kid his movie because he's contracted. Like, I mean, they could just easily recast him. A lot of people don't want him as the Flash. I'm seeing him getting a lot of heat for all this shit. Like, someone actually commented on our post on our Facebook, why isn't he canceled yet? And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Seriously? You know? But... um. What do you think about the whole thing? And do you think this is Warner Brothers way of trying to mask over all that shit? I'm not trying to psychoanalyze <clears throat> what DC is doing at this point. I, I have no idea what DC is doing, honestly. I, I, and I'm not I'm not I'm not going to sit here and try to predict what their plans for the universe are in the future, because it's clear to me at this point that they don't really know. I mean, I want to have faith in DC. I want to feel like, oh, maybe this time they've cracked it and they, you know, it's exciting for me to hear that Michael Keaton's coming back uh, in some capacity. I never once thought that he was going to be putting on the suit as Batman. I, I actually said he would never do it, and I bet money. So I guess I owe someone money right now. <laughs> so so anyway, um, and at the moment, it's difficult to muster up much excitement for any upcoming superhero movie, let alone one about The Flash or or Batgirl. I mean, sorry, that's just where I am at this point. It could be good. All I want is a good movie. I I really enjoyed Birds of Prey. So I'm hoping that there's some kind of course correction going on here. But we'll see. What we need, and and all we can really do is speculate and just kind of throw out whatever guesswork we can. Is he going to play Bruce Wayne? Is he? But even if he does play Bruce Wayne, it doesn't necessarily mean he's the same Bruce Wayne from the Batman. Yeah, I was going to make sure to mention that that is the strong information that I've received that this movie is going to be in the same universe as 89 and Batman Returns. It will be the same Batman and same. It doesn't even make sense. That's 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 what I'm hearing. It doesn't even make sense, which I mean, again, but if you're using if, if it depends on what they do with Flashpoint, because, again, Flashpoint is basically a continuity reset for DC. It completely rewrote exactly. continuity for a lot exactly. of things. So, I mean, if they use Flashpoint to do it. And if it's Ezra Miller's Flash, that's the same universe as the Ben Affleck. So are we led to believe that. It's the same Batman. What's well, also yeah. the same. I mean, like, I mean, really, like DC's basically made everything like this, like the, a shared multiverse. Like they've really gone whole hock because of the whole crisis with Infinite Earths thing that they did on the CW. Like, which had, works very well. The 89 universe, seems. the 89 universe already exists as part of that, as does Ezra Miller's Flash, because he met Grant Gustin's Flash during that event. And there's what, like, really? Yeah. Yeah, that happened. Like, where were you, bro? There's like pictures all over the internet like, and everything. Like, I don't like, watch those shows. We had what Brandon Ralph was do one I, version of I Superman. We had, I'm just, but I'm just saying that this is what DC has been doing lately: is playing with this kind of multiverse continuity kind of thing, where if they use Flashpoint in, and basically you could just kind of use Flashpoint as its 
thematic over arc because that's basically what it does in dc continuity is in the comics it just reset a bunch of continuity things and changed a bunch of things in the dc universe so they could have the flashpoint event happen and then that's how you explain like oh shit you're not the batman that i remember like who the hell are you or whatever you're way older than i remember or whatever that whatever the case may be i don't necessarily know how they how they want to do it it's all it's all it's all guesswork it's all speculative until we figure out exactly what kind of role keaton's going to play i will be i will personally say i don't see keaton signing on for a multi-picture thing where he's going to be randomly popping up in a whole bunch of different movies i don't care how much money they throw at him it just doesn't seem like the kind of thing he would do well think about i mean he did already though with marvel yeah um, i mean think about sony think about the fact that like keaton is in the marvel universe he's in the sony marvel universe in morbius and now he's in the dc universe uh potentially so like that's king shit (laughs) like he's just collecting paychecks wherever he can get them let's face it man i mean homecoming was literally as big as it was because of Michael Keaton, I'm just being straight up. I don't even give a shit. Well, it, it's one of the one of the major reason, reasons it was as yes, good as it was. One hundred percent, yeah, one hundred percent. And a lot of people came out, and I think Warner Brothers realizes that. And I think the past couple of years with all these anniversaries and and they're seeing how the fans react and stuff, and they pay attention to what fans are saying. And yes. There is a small minority of fans that love Batfleck. I love Batfleck. Um, and yes, Lysos, there's a lot of fucking fans that are hating on Battinson. So until that we get to see that, they're like, well, let's what works? What do fans love? And well, Michael Keaton's the greatest of all time. And they fucking know it. And fans, all these polls and stuff, no one's begging for Christian Bale to come back. Everyone's saying Keaton. People have been saying Keaton for years. Like I said, it's it's bold though. It's it's still a bold choice. And it I'm, is very I've bold. even got I've even got I've got the perfect the perfect sound drop for it. Now you wanna get nuts? Come on, let's get. It's nuts. like it's like Dude. DC getting nuts. Like <laughs> yes. it's it, it, like they're being bold with it. Like Joker was a huge hit. Joker was a runaway hit. Like made an absolute fucking freight train full of money. Just completely being its own thing. Battinson, like Reeves movies, are going to be their own thing. They're not going to be. They're not going to be tied to the larger DC continuity. Like you know, the DC I think has found a different way to go about doing this whole superhero thing than Marvel. And I think as long as they stick to their guns, they hire good filmmakers that they trust to just deliver a good vision onto the screen and kind of like, then they don't need to worry about all that kind of stuff. I just, I'm just curious to see exactly what kind of role Keaton's going to play because yes, you can say as, um, uh, as many times until you're blue in the face that Keaton's the best Batman. Everybody loves Keaton. I love Keaton too. He's my favorite Batman too, but he's not suiting up and fucking fighting crime. It's not going to happen. He's going to he be could. just, he's, he could. he's not going to. You he can shake your head, it. but it, I, he I'm telling you right it. now, it's entirely possible. He could think about Dawn of Justice. All those awesome fight scenes we see Batfleck doing, he ain't doing them. That ain't him in the suit for ninety percent of that shit. No, but you, it's a stunt guy. Keaton, it's a fight. It's Keaton a fight. At his age, does not want to suit up in a bat suit. Like that's the thing about it. 
even if difference... it's like even if it's like a Batman Beyond scenario, like Bruce Wayne in that show, you didn't see him suiting up as Batman. I know, the whole yeah, point was him training another Batman what for the younger see, generation. That's what you're going to see more so I than anything hope. else. I have hope, guys. I have hope. Seriously, it, with technology I mean, now, I he can not... just wear the cowl and they can CGI that's the rest on him. He won't have to wear the whole thing. If that's the direction that DC goes in, it's bold because, again, you're not going to have an on-screen Batman fighting with the Justice League or other members of the Justice League as they go about doing whatever like it's a it's a bold choice for them to take if in fact they're going to go that route because again you're going to have reeves batman off by himself doing his own thing so that isn't even really going to matter so it again it just kind of matters like what exactly they're going to do with the character like i like i mean again i i just give us the Batman Beyond movie that we all want. Like that's all anybody wants from Keaton because he's the perfect age for it. He's no longer able to play the character himself. Like, you know, in terms of like being a crime fighter, it makes perfect sense to have him in to shepherd and to be training a new, a new Batman, a Batgirl, whatever. I think it's a mistake if you want to try to narratively force that movie together with a Flashpoint movie with The Flash. That doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever to make those the same movie and to give them like equal screen time at that. That makes legitimately no sense to me whatsoever. That to me seems like DC trying to do the same thing that they did with Batman versus Superman, trying to shove too many different elements into one thing and trying to force something to work that I it, like it, it, my excitement to, to have Keaton return to the role of Bruce Wayne aside. I don't see how that works. I don't well, that's see I was how questioning you make it earlier. that movie work together. That's what I was saying. Movie. Are they trying to gloss over what, you know, most people are like, who wants this movie? People say that all, all the time. Who wants an Ezra Miller flash movie? That and everybody say, fucking does. Is that, Everybody's is that still go happening? See it. Well, that's what I'm saying. They are, but is this their way of boosting? You know, and it, obviously it worked because, again, I'll say it for the fifteenth fucking time. It's that this news was trending today, huge. But for me, I'll I'll take anything I can get to get him back I in mean, the we'll role. I literally we can get. never. I think we're thought, all just curious to see. Well, I never how. thought it could happen. I mean, and this is only like less than a month after we heard news that Henry Cavill is in talks to come back for more DC movies as well. Which for the love so, of fucking God, they better. They, they goddamn better. This is what I'm saying. I think they may know like what's working. Like, oh, what do these guys really want? What do fans really want? What are these guys and gals, these DC fans? Well, the funny thing is, is I mean, you think like? about back during the Snyder era of DC, like it was, everybody was fucking loose lipped. Like everything leaked from DC all the time, but we haven't heard a lot out of the DC camp in a long time in terms of what like their overarching plans are for any kind of extended universe or connected universe <laughs> or anything for the longest time there'd be like we're going to announce this movie joss whedon's going to do batgirl yeah, oh they had, never like, mind literally never like, mind. everything under the That's sun not like, happening everything was kind of leaking and getting dropped and getting announced and getting whatever all over the place and we have i mean maybe they've got their ducks in a row maybe they've got everything perfectly i'm I mean, hearing Tuji good Har things out. i'm they hearing good things him. about Yep, James Gunn's The Suicide Squad. I'm hearing very good things about that, and you know, well, so. and I trust, I trust Machietti. I mean, as long as the movie's well written, as long as it's fun, as long as it's coherent and not extremely convoluted, which Flash, Flashpoint could be. 
So uh, your flashpoint, but that's why again it doesn't make sense to me to sandwich like a Batman training a protege story into a flashpoint movie because flashpoint by itself is already a lot. It's a lot, a lot going on because it takes all these different continuity threads, all this different stuff that's happening, and not only that, but I mean this is Flash, but we've never had a big screen version of Reverse Flash. You also have to introduce your main villain, basically the primary antagonist for the Flash in the movie as well. Like you have so much heavy lifting to do in this movie. I don't like I said. I I don't. I think that there's going to be there's more news coming that's going to flesh more of this out, and I think it's all speculative at this point. I don't. Oh, one hundred percent. See that it movie is, working. Yeah. I don't see that movie working at all. If we get Batman trains Batgirl plus Flashpoint, that just seems so weird to me. Yeah, unless they introduce that element that it's not a major element and they flesh it out in a future Batgirl movie or whatever. Which fine. Um, and maybe it's not a direct adaptation of Flashpoint either. They could just be using the. That's I mean, honestly if what bringing, I'm thinking. If they're bringing yeah. in like a Bruce Wayne like this, like like I said, that's when when I see that news when they're like, oh, they're going to get Keaton to play Batman in a Flashpoint movie. I'm immediately like, okay, cool. They're going to have him play Thomas Wayne, which I love the idea of. Even though I did want to see Jeffrey Dean Morgan do it, but like I love the idea of Keaton fucking blowing c- criminals away with fucking guns and a bat suit. I love that idea. I fucking love that idea. Please make that I would, Honestly, I would take that. If I get to see him in the fucking suit, I'll take that over That's him. That's what Justin cares about. about. And then I started reading all Listen. this stuff about people saying, oh, no, he's going to be Bruce Wayne. And I'm like, well, that doesn't make any fucking sense. Again. So, so we'll what, see what, what happens. I, I what I've been told is exactly what I said here. It's it, The talks are serious. They're waiting on. He's waiting on price. His agent's a fucking bitch, by the way. She's wicked mean. So she's waiting on the highest price possible. I saw that bitch there at fucking Alamo City Con. She's going to wait for the highest bidder from that shit. But you know what? Warner Brothers will pay it. They will pay it. They know at this point how big of a deal it is to bring Michael Keaton back as Bruce Wayne, Batman, whatever, anything Batman related. It's going to be way bigger than anything Robert Pattinson, Pattinson related. I'm telling you right now, it's huge. Alligator mouth towards this opposite side, the Batman right the fuck right now for me. I mean, huge news. Same day we lost a Batman great with Joel Schumacher and then we get fucking I I still can't believe it. Like when I posted it, I didn't believe it. I was in disbelief the entire afternoon. Like, how is this even remotely possible? I've been telling people it would never happen and I would owe them money. And I'm sure there's going to be people sending me private messages on Facebook and text like, oh, yo, bro, you said. But, you know, I have an out there, Loisos, because I said Tim Burton will never return to make another Batman movie, which he never will. And he ain't going to do it. If anything, Andy Muschietti's idea I think it may have popped into his head, like, why don't we do this? This would be really cool. He's a super imaginative guy. We saw with the It movies how talented he is. So I'm excited. I'll shut up about it now. We have a canon movie to talk about, but you guys know that I could talk about this forever. News I never thought we would talk about on this show. So so there it is. I mean, yeah. I mean, like I said, we'll see. I'm I'm eager to see what more news comes out, like I, official confirmation, and then I want like. I'm sure someone at some point is going to come along and, and someone either Muschietti himself or somebody DC executive or whomever will come along and clarify, okay, this is what he's doing. And then, and then we'll know for sure, but weigh in on social media. I know it's been blowing up all over the place. Uh, weigh in on social media. Let us know exactly what you think about Keaton returning. Ladies and gentlemen, we 
are going to run away and take a quick break. When we return, we got Dudikoff, we got James, we got chiseled motherfucking chests, and we've got ninjas, American ninjas. Do not go anywhere. The latest installment of hashtag canon quarantine after this word from Loy Sauce's anus. so much for sticking with us here for another amazing episode of the epic film guys podcast if you love us if you like us if you really really enjoyed justin not being here last week and you want him to go away forever oh shit i forgot he's back uh make sure you head over to apple podcast please leave us a beautiful wonderful amazing five-star review we would be eternally grateful and we will send you loy sauce his beard when he shaves it off in July, so he says, even though if That's he does, what he has to do! That's what we're gonna do! We're gonna, when you shave the beard, we're gonna end up mailing pieces of it to our friends and family and followers and listeners, and we can make money off of we it. We need you to collect every single piece of it, and then we're gonna send it to people who leave us. So if you've already left us an Apple Podcast review, sign up for a new email <laughs> sign up for a new account. I swear, I won't take the part of your beard and try to glue it onto my face. Only ass hairs will go on my face. Ass hairs are ball hairs. I promise. I'll only shave my own pubes or ass hairs to paste on my face. I think ass hairs and ball hairs is a perfect transition into... Hashtag <laughs> seed. How you going that? And ladies and gentlemen, 1985, Michael Dudikoff. Dudikoff, Dudikoff, Dudikoff. Wow, he sprang the, the to Dudikoff. life all of a sudden. You know why? He He's thinking about Dudikoff shirtless in that one scene in the movie. Mm. Rock hard, baby. Rock hard. We are talking, ladies and gentlemen, about 1985's American Ninja and Loy Sauce, as as he has been wont to do over hashtag Canon Quarantine, is going to tell us a little bit about what it is all about. Uh, well, I'll, I'll I'll talk about the background a little bit. So, um, the poster tagline for American Ninja is pretty remarkable. Uh, the deadliest art of the Orient is now in the hands of an American. Which is not a poster tagline that would fly in the year 2020, but in 1985, it was all about ninjas, and it was all about America. 
And so we have American Ninja, directed by frequent Canon collaborator Sam Furstenberg, who, of course, is uh, Nick's favorite filmmaker, I think, uh, having directed Breaking 2, Electric Boogaloo. Easily one of them, for sure. And Ninja 3, The Domination, which we have, both of which we've talked about on Canon Quarantine. As well as Avenging Force, too. That's right. We've previously discussed Avenging Force on the show, which also starred Michael Dudikoff and Steve James. Um, I don't think I'm bearing the lead here, uh, or I hope I'm not, but um, this is no Avenging Force, but we'll get to that. Um, So Chuck Norris was originally approached to play the titular American Ninja, uh, but he turned it down due to his massive ego. He didn't want to wear a mask. He, he, he objected. <laughs> he objected to having his immaculate face obscured by the ninja mask and hood in the climactic showdown. He said, if I'm going to star in the film, I don't want my face hidden. So um, over 2,000 individuals auditioned for the, the main role. And ultimately, Dudikoff was cast because uh, Golan and Globus liked the way he looked. Get the Dudikoff, kid! Cast the Dudikoff! Which I don't blame them, uh, but but apparently they cast him because of his resemblance to uh, James Byron Dean. Um, Dudikoff, of course, along with James Dean, it, it is one of the most handsome men to have ever walked this planet, I think. Um, would you all agree? Oh, yes. 100%. Mm. That was <laughs> that was quite the mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. So um, could you could you could you sense the thirst in in my voice? It's almost like you floated away a little bit there. Well, you know what it's like. It's like that scene in the film where Patricia sees him without his shirt on, and she immediately stops being a giant asshole to him, and is immediately just like hungry for his cock for the rest of the movie. Oh, sure. That's what a shirtless Dudikoff will do to you, ladies. <laughs> yeah, she was mesmerized. I wanted to throat punch that bitch. I'm, I'm sorry. Well, but we'll get to that. Holy fuck, was she like, oh, insufferable until he took his shirt off, and then she immediately just like her panties just flooded, and she was like, oh, the whole rest of the movie. Well, she kept mentioning she was wet, so I mean, <laughs> she said it more than once. Yeah. Uh, that, that had to have been an intentional euphemism. I don't know. It's a canon movie. So, well, yeah, that's true. I'm probably getting, I feel like we need this. I feel like we need this guys. There There it is. So, um, despite having no martial arts training, uh, Dudikoff worked hard to train ninjutsu for the role and went on to become a black belt later on, which is pretty cool. So, um, Right from the jump, I mean, we've we've talked at length about canon movies and their opening scenes. Uh, going right along with them, uh, American Ninja throws everything at you very quickly and all at once. So the film opens in Fort Serona, a military I gave base. A fucking hacky sack. They're located playing in the hacky Philippines. sack. That's right. To pass the time, some of the troops are playing a friendly game of hacky sack, except for Michael Dudikoff, who's too cool for hacky sack. Mm-mm. He'd rather brood and lean against a truck and mm-hmm. play with his knife. It's mysterious. Who is this man? Mm. So anyway. Why is he here? Oh, he's a new guy. No one knows anything about him. 
That's right. So already there's an there's an air of mystique surrounding this character, Ooh. and it continues throughout the entire film because you learn absolutely very little about him. Uh, oh, we learn enough about him. I suppose, uh, but we'll get to that. So the troops, the troops roll out to go somewhere. I don't know. Again, everything happens very quickly. Um, and we get to the main titles, which um, I want to mention because the music is just fucking awful. Bro, it's a cheap ass <laughs> oh wannabe G.I. Joe score. Music by Michael Lynn. This is one of his only composer credits. He's worked on tons of movies as far as being in the music department, but this is one of his only actual scores that he composed. Okay, I, I, I love the steel drums. I'm guilty of that. But the actual theme for this movie is one of the worst themes of any canon movie ever made. It's god fucking awful. It literally any sounds movie like ever made. <laughs> Just it sounds like full he, stop. He, it sounds like Nick. He watched an episode of GI Joe and he said, "I'm gonna do that, but worse." It's meant to sound triumphant, but it's just obnoxiously shrill. Nah, Who, nah. Whoever whoever played the trumpet yeah. on the soundtrack, so I'm hunting you down. Many trumpets for I'm the hunting, love of fuck. I'm hunting this man down because you owe me for blowing out the speakers on my laptop. I hold you personally responsible. Dude, bro, that ain't even a real trumpet. That's a fucking fake ass mid-80s computer ass trumpet. That ain't even some real shit. The Fuck score of this garbage. movie was the movie equivalent. I made myself chicken parm earlier. It is the equivalent of taking your ball sack and running it over a cheese grater. And then your ears are somehow involved. That got away from me. But the point is, it is fucking terrible. Loisos is absolutely correct. It is insufferably yes. bad. It is. Gratingly, yes. gratingly bad. And I mean, there are other things about this movie that we're going to obviously pick apart as we go through this. But yeah, this, there are other movies where people have, you know, we talked about when Masters of the Universe, like the score really didn't register for me all that much in Masters of the Universe, but I didn't, it didn't oh, actively you detract from the i'm just saying it didn't actively detract from the viewing experience for me this is one of those scores that's so bad it makes you actively mad every time it starts playing you're literally <laughs> mad every time yes. you hear it because yes. it's just it's... bad 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 it's piss poor and out of all the canon movies we watch guys i don't know how you feel about this but i think this has the weakest opening of any of the action movies we discussed during hashtag canon quarantine so far um, I like the opening that it's introducing the Joe character played by Michael Dudikoff as this quiet brooding character. I mean, he doesn't speak in the film for like the first 15 minutes. He just kind of stands around acting cool, which is fine. There's a mystery to that. But even the opening of uh, action sequence where they're again, Lois, I don't know where the fuck they're going any anyway either. I, they're just getting in these vehicles and they're driving down this street and then they get attacked by what looks like a bunch of landscapers. <laughs> it looks like they're fucking they're trimming some hedges or some shit, and they attack them. And then, of course, randomly, a giant group of the Black Star Order of Ninjas come out and attack them. So, yeah. And it's like like the opening scene of Ninja 3. It's sheer chaos. You have ninjas jumping out of palm trees. You have ninjas like stabbing people and slitting their throats. And this movie exists in that magical 80s movie fantasy land, wherein the hero can just somersault away from machine gun fire yep. uh, and, and block arrows with the handle of a shovel. 
and at one point he kills a ninja with a screwdriver. <laughs> which, Dude, he throws it into his fucking neck, and it's like the best thing in the movie. He's like, you hear, it's like. I literally there's a lot of like when I had like the the fun that I had in this movie is with the kills in this movie like there's the one like where he throws the guy up he does like a he does a flip on the guy and he lands on top of a fucking pickaxe and gets him bailed <laughs> like the kills like again there are a lot of problems with this movie but sweet merciful Jesus they knew like this sits in like Loisa said that absolute sweet spot of just absolutely balls to the wall majestic ninja just insane action where anything and everything that you could possibly think of happens on screen and it's it's glorious it's all absolutely well glorious to watch but i gotta critique the simple fact that prior to this we had ninja 3 the domination uh, in which sam Furstenberg admitted in an interview that audiences didn't like seeing a female as a ninja in that movie. So they did decide to make, you know, get a handsome guy to play, the, play the main character in this movie. Was, was that Ninja's, really a main complaint about Ninja three? Was that it, it was a woman? Well, it was, it was a complaint by a small yeah, because minority. They immediately decided to head back to the King Solomon's mind school of screenwriting for women. And they made um, but, Judy Arneson's character, the most shrieking just gigantic piece of shit character again for the first about 10 minutes of the movie where she's running through the jungle being pursued by ninjas judica's trying to keep her safe and she's trying to hide but she's literally screaming at him the whole time like when he's trying to save her and the complaining only thing about that her hair it, complaining about her clothes legitimately the only thing that stops it is then when they get wet in the river or whatever and then they have to get out he takes his shirt off and she immediately just is so hungry for his cock she has no other character speed for the rest of the fucking movie. This isn't quite as bad as King Solomon's Minds in terms of how bafflingly misogynistic and shitty the writing is for the female character, but it's like 90% of the way there. Like, yeah, uh, it's well, all what I was getting to there. What I was getting to is that this movie does not seem to be directed by the same Sam Furstenberg that gave us the pretty gorgeous movies that we talked about prior to this. I mean, I think Ninja 3 is great to look at as far as the visuals. You want to know what the problem Breaking is, Justin? 2 looks great, too. You want to know what the problem is? This is Ninja 3 The Domination taken seriously. Whereas in that movie, it's it's you know it's tongue-in-cheek. They know the kind of movie they're making. In this movie, it's played more straight. It's played more serious, and it's not played up like for laughs and whatnot so there's a tonal disconnect like we've yeah, talked we, about we, in a lot of these canon movies we can't we can't we can't we can't complain about the cinematography because is it it is the same cinematographer hananiah bayer that did the cinematography for ninja 3 breaking 2 uh went on to do masters of the universe so they know how to shoot a movie for some reason though this just comes off looking very dull and dingy and just i don't know it lacks any kind of style at all that's just my first impression. I've seen this movie before more than once, but it's been a good couple of years. Um, and I just uh, rewatching it, I'm like, this just looks bland. Like for an action movie, it's supposed to have energy within the image. And this movie has zero. Well, and that's the problem. I mean, it, it doesn't help that we're coming off of two canon action movies in Ninja 3, The Domination. And then, of course, Death Wish 3, where the action is so well done. This is a fucking snooze by comparison. Like not all of the action is like bad, but it's just there's no life to it. There's no energy to it. It feels 
almost run of the mill kind of paint by numbers. Like they were just like, we have to do another ninja movie. Let's just do another ninja movie. And they just expected to ching ching at the box office and just literally, well, like I said, yeah. gave it the shittiest script possible. And it's just, it's just not, it, it, it's, it's just, it's lifeless in a way. Like it just like you're watching the movie, but it's just at one point, I'm not even going to lie. At one point I wandered out into my kitchen to, to go get a snack and I just left the movie playing. Like I just didn't even care what was happening. I was like, I, whatever. Like who, who gives well, I a mean, shit? Yes. You know? And I think the main problem, and I'll, I'll throw this to Lois House. I know you had something to say about this is the bad guys are just not interesting. Like it's not totally clear what exactly they're trying to do in the movie. Like what, what they're the whole point of their process is, what the end game is for them. Um, I'm going to make this deal happen. What deal? Yeah, it's, a, it's a deal. It's a deal <laughs> for something. There's money I, involved. They're bringing I, I got, people there. Yeah. I got the impression that they're like selling military weapons on the black market or something. There's some kind of shady deal. But it's never clear as to the motivation of these villains, and a lot of it's it not doesn't clear. E- it like, doesn't even have to be anything. Why uh, are there ninjas? Because <laughs> the ninja. whole ninja camp. There's a ninja camp. Yeah. Yeah, but they're, why? Why are they involved with this group? Because they're clearly like led by this black star, the one black star ninja in the film, uh, Tadashi Gamashida. I'd probably mispronounce that, but you know, it, it's just. I mean, again, it's just one of those things where the bad guys just feel really generic and then therefore you just don't really care. Also, they're insanely inept, like really inept. How the fuck can Michael Dudikoff by himself beat like eight ninjas? He's basically Batman in this movie. Hand over fist. Like you see them attack this group of armed soldiers, like again, at the beginning of the movie, and they're dispatching the soldiers left, right and center. They're dodging gunfire. They're doing all this stuff. And then it's literally like we talked about this in Kickbox or we've talked about this in other canon movies, wherein your antagonists will just suddenly forget how to do anything when they're facing the protagonist. All of a sudden, when these ninjas face Dudikoff, cough they can't fight anymore they're basically just punching bags they may as well just be like training dummies that he's just stabbing throwing punching kicking whatever it's i mean and and that's like the way all the actions like the kills like there's some really funny and inventive kills that are like oh like i laughed a bunch of times like with a bunch of the kills in the movie but that was really the only real enjoyment i got out of it like i really let's talk about a lot of other enjoyment out of this film i was kind of like I wasn't like offended like I was when I watched King Solomon's Minds because that was just thankfully the 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 female love interest uh, Judy Aronson's character isn't on screen very much like she comes and goes and disappears for large chunks of screen time and when she's on the screen she's not like just thirsting after or she's just thirsting after Dudikoff but you know like it, it's just it's boring it's just not- I I I, st- I stack her character being annoying up to the writing because. She's actually a lot better yeah, in Friday the, the 13th, it's the final chapter. The and she's actually very charming and lovable in Weird Science. So she's been in other 80s movies, and she's known for being in those movies and being good. Um, she is extremely obnoxious in this movie. But let's let's face it. The only good in this movie, aside from what we get out of Dudikoff in his debut role, is Steve motherfucking Steve James motherfucking Corporal James Curtis Jackson and, and I his mean, pecs? Can we get can yes. we get separate billing for his pecs as well? Is, is there a sound Jesus effect? You Christ, get like a bouncing sound effect? Do 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 do. I mean, he's got giant fucking lean chicken breasts as his tits. He's just a monster in this movie, and he's awesome. I just love this guy so much, and I I see where they were going after this movie. Like these guys have a chemistry because Dudikoff's playing it straight. 
you know that the filmmakers and producers are like, well, this guy's new. He's fresh. He's green. We're not going to give him a lot of dialogue. You can compare this to Avenging Force and see how much more dialogue he has in that movie than this. And he does very well with it as well in that movie. In this movie, they're trying to make him that that loner where he doesn't talk much. He's the silent type. He's like a Clint Eastwood, badass, Western gunslinger type of guy. Um, he is a criminal, basically. He is put into the military rather than prison for his crimes. And they kind of unfold that slowly as the movie goes along. Like, oh, well, he's he's a bad guy. We didn't know about it, but he got in the military somehow. That's I guess you're supposed to know that when he's flipping his knife in the beginning of the movie. Um, but yeah, the Steve character James. Has, oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. The character has total amnesia. So he's aside from the, the couple of things we learn about his past, he's a complete blank slate. And I think that's one of the issues I have with the film is that like the, Michael Dudikoff plays Joe, a character who's just as generic as his name. And he doesn't have that sense of charisma that he has in Avenging Force. Um, and I think that is a shame. But we do have a great kind of... It starts out as a rivalry between him and Steve James's character, Curtis Jackson. <laughs> dude, dude, where literally Joe just flips Corporal Curtis Jackson over his head like 15 times to show dominance. He's like, come on, let's fight, let's fight. And like literally all he's doing is flipping him over his head because we know that Dudikoff isn't a trained martial artist, so he doesn't know moves very well. So it's like very simple takedown moves over and over and over again. He's literally just taking him down. Well, I think, uh, yeah. I, to, to go back to what Loisos was saying, though, that's one of the biggest things that frustrated me about this film as well is that uh, yeah, Dudikoff has no backstory, and you get like a couple of tiny little flashbacks, like peppered in, spaced random, so yeah. fucking far apart that make literally no sense where you get to see him training as a ninja. Like, the amnesia thing is fucking stupid. It makes no sense. Like, why couldn't he have just been, like, an American who trained in ninjutsu in Japan? Like, it has this fucking, like, really, like, all this dumb shit. And then why is his, like, former master, like, the random gardener that's hanging out at the bad guy's fucking <laughs> plate? That doesn't even make any <laughs> He, he's planting fucking pagonias and fucking daisies he's and just shit there, out like, in the they garden. They just randomly show this quiet guy, and they have like this whole dialogue about him, like planting all this stuff in this garden or whatever. And, then and, all how, of a and how he's, he's been the, there. He's and, the yeah. secret master from Dudikoff's he's character that trained for... him. In, well, what the fuck? What? It doesn't even make any fucking sense. Well, and just like any, like just like every other revelation in this movie, le- learning about his past, where he was orphaned as a child and is trained to be a ninja. Um, it's a non-event. Like it doesn't really add up to it, anything, it doesn't and it doesn't anything, really, yeah. yeah, it doesn't inform the character. Um, and really, if you had established a bond between those two, any kind of um bond beyond the flashback that we get in that one scene, when uh, Shinyuki dies later on, you would have felt any kind of emotion at all. Like instead, that when he dies, it just lands with a thud because there's absolutely no emotional impact at all from the audience because it's so uneventful. I actually, I forget how he dies, and I watched the movie earlier today. I mean, when they sit down together, and he says to him, he's like, I remember so many things, but also have forgotten so many things. That's literally like a line in the movie. (laughs) It's very similar to that, and I'm like, okay. So they could have built that relationship. We could have been shown early on that he trained him in martial arts to be a ninja, and they got disconnected, and that explosion that happened, you know, broke them apart and that he's been searching for him or 
you know, something like that to make it like a, a, a bond, like any kind of real relationship. When they meet up, he like takes him down and he just brings him in a room and sets him down. He's like, I've been looking for you for 25 years. And I'm like, oh, shit. Well, didn't seem like that. It seemed like you were fucking planting fucking roses for the past 25 years, motherfucker. Yeah, and what are the odds that they would run into each other again? I, I don't know. The whole thing is just very, it's very It's all stupid. contrived. It's all just built on random coincidence and whatnot. Like, but there's again, no impetus, I have to say There's no it. motivation for the character <laughs> to, to do literally any of these things in the film because it's just... Again, he's he's got amnesia. Like... It's it's literally like the most cliched and stupid of soap opera type writing that you're getting in this film. Like you don't care as as and, and then they just pepper in these backstory bits and they throw them at other characters as if other characters are supposed to care about them. Like at one point in the film, they per- confront Patricia with the fact that oh he's he he was a criminal before he was in the army. It's just like is it true, Joe? Like it just it's it, none of it means anything though because again, this character you just don't learn anything about him at all whatsoever correct me if i'm wrong i want to hear you guys' opinion on this and i will say this for for director brennick for our good friend dan from netflix as well it's a canon movie but does this play like a made-for-tv movie to you guys because it does to me when i watched it it felt like a made-for-tv movie it didn't feel like a movie that you'd watch on the big screen from the way it was shot to the acting to the look of it to everything about it basically it just seemed like a very cheap like cbs sunday movie or something like that i think you're right on the money especially when it comes to the i mean this movie's rated r but it's not nearly as brutal as avenging force not there's some at all. There, there's some throat slits and there's some stuff here and there but it's not nearly as exciting or dynamic or as brutal as anything that we've seen in some of the other canon movies we've watched. Um, And also, I mean, I may be getting ahead of myself here, um, but just the fact that uh, I can't tell if it's like, I think, I think a lot of it actually has to do with the editing. Um, Obviously while watching these canon movies we we we're no stranger to really shit editing but yeah. there's a moment where um Dudikoff is set up and framed for stealing military equipment at one point and he's arrested um which causes Curtis um Steve James's character to to want to clear his name with military police and there's a part where uh Curtis is talking to one of the military officers uh and then cut to a completely different location to Jackson talking to Sergeant Ronaldo, just like in the middle of the scene. So it's a complete shambles. And I can't tell if it's like a combination between like editing, direction, script. Um, well, there's a, there, it's 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 there's another scene as well, Loisos, where there's something like that. It, it's, it goes down to continuity as well, because like there's a scene wherein. Uh, Steve James is shirtless because he's Steve James and you got to look at that just absolute majesty of a man. But then like literally during the same scene, like they're on their way to go to do something. And then all of a sudden, like Dudikoff is in like a like a T-shirt or whatever. And then it immediately cuts to a shot of. James is now fully dressed like they're going. Oh, that's right. He's going. He's going. He's got to deliver the note to the restaurant. He's got to leave the base to deliver the note to the girl or whomever. And then like. James is shirtless and then like literally they like go to the scene like for him to leave like to go borrow his bike and then all of a sudden like James is fully dressed and Dudikoff is in an officer's uniform like it's like again it's a complete disconnect like there but there's no it seems like there's almost no kind of quality control or like continuity control like just nobody cared they were just like 
uh, just 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 shoot it and you know we'll just throw it together who gives a fuck well yeah which then we circle back because to, it's, it's, it's a, a canon, canon movie. movie yeah <laughs> right so that's i mean that's part of the charm but in this one because i wasn't having as much fun with this one as i've had with All a lot of the others like an avenging force what is it like a two minute thing at the beginning of the movie where you meet he and his his sister and you know you you learn about their parents dying and everything and you just get like that one quiet scene like it's not much backstory for the character but it's a fuck of a lot more than joe gets in this fucking movie well and it's not even anything having to do with backstory give the character a personality of some sort yeah he's an avenging an avenging oh. force an avenging force there's like a, a camaraderie between him and steve james's character whereas in this one like there's it starts out as kind of like a rivalry and they have a fight scene and then they instantly become friends for some reason immediately after that i guess dudikoff yeah, helps yeah yeah you know you like her she's cute i'm like yeah. where did that come from <laughs> yeah and he just keeps saying it. he's like yeah look at her yeah i'm like okay all right i guess i guess dudikoff helps him up after kicking his ass that, that was nice of him he didn't have to do that so Maybe, maybe that was the start of a friendship. go back because uh we kind of have veered off from the plot a little bit so i want to bring us right back to the what beginning plot where, where we left off well because you know just bringing it back to the story because that the story is the most important thing in a script you know so um tell tell the screenwriter for this movie that <laughs> exactly <laughs> that. exactly cast so, the dudikoff get the dudikoff uh so when when the convoy is ambushed by the hijackers, um, I guess there's an attempt to kidnap the colonel's daughter, Patricia. Um, she exits the car at one point and is kind of watching this, this massacre happen. And at one point, one of the ninjas hits her and, and then they put her back in the car, <laughs> which if, I don't know why they did that because exactly what happens, she then uses the car to drive away. Um, an escape, which I don't understand that. But anyway, she instantly crashes because women can't drive. <laughs> that's, well, that's true. Not only does she crash the car, but she flips the car over, then manages to crawl out of it, a tree. and then yeah. looks back at the car and is like, Ugh! and kicks the car. What? I, she... <laughs> it, it, she is this movie's answer to Willie Scott from Indiana Jones and the Temple of <sighs> Doom. Just constant shrieking, constant... Um, there's one point where she's complaining she she asks Dudikoff what do you think I am a jungle baby or something and I don't even know what that's supposed to mean but then Dudikoff turns turns around and he 
breaks the heels off of her shoes, and she acts like this is the most horrific injustice. She doesn't seem particularly bothered by the fact that she just watched a dozen or so people get brutally massacred right before her eyes. Like the ninjas are trying to kidnap her. Exactly, exactly. So I used the word shrill already to describe the musical score, but I'm using it again to describe her character. Like I said, yes. again, I think it goes right back to like like I said, it's it's the King Solomon's Minds uh, school of screenwriting for women. Uh, you have to write them as the most inept, shrieking, terrible characters ever. And then the only difference being in well, I mean, I guess no, because Sharon Stone definitely had that in King Solomon's Minds too, where all of a sudden she just immediately became so fucking thirsty for Alan Quatermain, and I guess, yeah, the same exact thing happens in this movie. They get to a scene in the jungle, she's shrieking, she's yelling, they're trying to hide, and she's screaming in the jungle. And, and then, then she's like, dick. Yeah, he takes his shirt off after they get wet to let their clothes dry, and I guess they just stand there in the jungle and just wait for them to dry up right next to each other. Because they're in a jungle where it's so cold. (laughs) And then she sees him shirtless and legitimately for the whole rest of the movie, her entire point and purpose is to get some Dudikoff dick. Which would be fine, again, if they had any chemistry at all. They they don't. Well, you can't blame him. You really can't blame him all that much. I mean, he's just very good looking, but he doesn't know what he's doing. This is his first acting You know what? He doesn't know what he's doing because the script gives his character absolutely nothing to well, do. Well, then he's not that he's not a, a, a trained like he's not a very good actor at this point in his career. Though you could watch Bachelor Party with Tom Hanks and Dudikoff is one of his buddies and that movie came out like a couple years before this and he's actually very good in that as like a, a drunk frat boy kind of guy. So again, that character, character has way more depth than this character. Does. Oh, he 100% does. What drunk frat his name boy has already more character development than Joe gets in this entire movie. 100%. <laughs> so then, so then there's an investigation to figure out what happened. Um, and, uh, I believe it's Steve James who tells the officer that the convoy was ambushed by ninjas. And he asks the officer, have you ever heard of ninjutsu, sir? And then the officer says, what's that? And Steve James replies, the secret art of assassination, at which the officer replies, of course I have. Which, (sighs) who wrote that exchange? Because it doesn't make any sense at all. Have you ever I've heard of ninjutsu? Theory, I've got a theory. I know who wrote it. I just want you to get me drunk right now. That makes perfect sense. That's Doesn't entirely it? possible. You've <laughs> yeah. either heard of ninjutsu or you haven't. Whether you know the English <laughs> meaning of the word or not. <laughs> oh, yes, but I've heard of the secret art of assassination. Oh, yes, I've heard God of that. So uh, then when Joe gets back to base with the colonel's daughter, who he's saved, um, the colonel starts berating him and browbeating him. He's like, don't think you're off the hook just because you brought my daughter back safe. I'm like, he saved her life from ninjas. He's like, your ass is going to be court martial, motherfucker. Yeah, he's like, we have four dead men on our hands. You, you know, you've been nothing but trouble ever since you've got to this base. I'm like, <laughs> 
Which is just, I mean, just it, it's again, it just goes back to a script level for this. And I mean, this is just the kind of laziness that gets through in most canon movies. I mean, we even talked about it when we talked about Death Wish 3. I mean, basically, like they, they show up at the apartment, like he shows up to visit his friend at the apartment. And then the cops immediately just show up and fucking arrest him for whatever. Like, it, it's the same exact kind of thought process that goes into writing this kind of thing. Like, he was out there. He saves the colonel's daughter. He like is the only reason that she's still alive. He kills a whole bunch of ninjas. Like otherwise he and she would have been dead too. Well, she would have been kidnapped. He would have been dead too. But you know, he manages to save her and escape back to the thing. And he's going to get fucking court-martialed. It's the same thing as in what the fuck was it? Uh, Ninja three. It's the same exact thing where the police officer, after watching her beat up a bunch of guys that were trying to rape her is like, I could have you arrested for assault. It's like, what? (laughs) Right. It's just mystifying. It's like, it's, it's writing without any kind of concept about like the way that the actual world works. I think they're just trying to create conflict for the hero. Like when he gets back to base, like all of a sudden everyone wants to pick a fight everyone with him. Everyone hates him for what? Like, it's like, what? He enters a room and everyone else is like, this place stinks. Let's get out of here. Like, what did he do? <laughs> what did he do? Why does everyone hate him so much? So it's it's contrived for sure. It's... But let's, let's talk about the villain of the picture now. So we have um, Don Stewart playing... A Frenchman, I guess. His name is Victor Ortega, which is a Spanish name, but he has this ridiculous French accent that sounds like Inspector Clouseau. Not even Peter Sellers, Inspector Clouseau. Steve Martin, Inspector Clouseau. You know what the the, mean- the worst part about the villain in this movie is? <laughs> I couldn't understand almost anything that he fucking said because because they didn't ADR his lines. I'm pretty sure. It's just whatever they were able to pick up on the boom. So all of his audio sounds really far away. And it's under that really thick accent where you can't fucking tell anything that he's saying. I legitimately had no idea what he was saying most of the time he was on screen. None. It doesn't matter because none of it meant anything anyways. Like the little bits that you do pick up. It's like vague. It's like this deal is going to go through. I'm, I'm going to make this deal no- happen impacted all whatsoever had you put like a semi-memorable villain in here someone that oozed a little bit of charisma someone that ate up some screen time chewed some scenery you'd have a way better movie i mean these movies are based on how good their villains are we've learned that during this canon quarantine series just look at death wish 3 it's how well look at avenging force like like you know you've got like a, a good hero you know with the minimum the bare minimum of development and a villain that actually gives a little bit of effort but this guy like like seriously like he i i think he was probably drunk most of the time i'm not sure like i said all everything he said i just had the hardest time hearing and understanding what the fuck he was saying i don't know if that was just me but it just seemed like he wanted to make some money that's it that's all he wanted in this movie just just some money that's it yeah i mean the motivation's not the problem, I think a lot of it has to do with the performance and the writing. I mean, I think like the again, performance and, and, is and, lazy. The performance and, 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 is just so lifeless. I, I'll go back event, to that word lifeless. In Avenging Force, it's like you have uh, the villains who are just so over the top racist that it's you understand them. You understand what they're trying to but do. Dude, th- those fuckers burn down a house with people in it. You know what I mean? They're brutal. They're vicious. In this movie, they're like, eh, whatever. We just have a whole camp of ninjas right next door. We just, <laughs> yeah, you know, they just have a random constantly. camp of, of different ninjas who are, again, the most inept. Like, they're, it, you know what? In, in, uh, 
when you when you watch through the scene, I was watching it with uh, I was watching the movie with uh, with Deb Kinney, one of our patrons, and she remarked that it looked like it was like a Power Ranger training camp or something like that. That's who they reminded me of. All the ninjas, they're the putties from the Power Rangers. They're all basically just fucking cannon fodder. When you throw them in front of Dudikoff, he beats the shit out of them hand over fist, even in large groups. That's right. They're all Dude, they can so jump around, they can spin around. Terrible. Yeah, they can spin kick, but. As soon as you get in the way of Michael Dudikoff, you're getting knocked down no matter what he throws yeah, at it's you. It's terrible. It's oh god, it's bad. I mean, you really get a you a real United Nations of villains in this because you have your French villain, you have your uh, Japanese ninjas, you have your Filipino henchmen. Uh, one of Vin, uh, Victor Ortega's associates is Italian. So what this movie teaches us is that anyone foreign is not to be trusted. It's true. Actually, or American, because you know the American military people that ah, are bad guys true. as well. That's true. right. There's, there's the bad. scene where they they um they escape the, the military base. There's like this contrivance where Dudikov's not allowed to leave the military base, but he escapes um, so that he can go on a date with um what's her name uh lady uh Just ladies and, and, ladies ladies about all the effort they gave it in the script so. And they have to, they go to a fancy restaurant and who do they run into or who they see there, but Sergeant Ronaldo. Yep. So he's in cahoots with Victor Ortega um, to do something, I guess, like I said, some kind of shady black market deal. Um, and again, that is a reveal that is, a, should be a huge revelation, but it's treated as an afterthought. The same goes for when it's revealed that uh, the colonel uh, the 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 father of love interest is also in cahoots with Ortega. Um, so these are things that should be, again, have consequences, weighty consequences to the story. It just kind of they just present it as just kind of plain. It just it just happens. No consequence. Just and that's why we can get to the end fight scene and everything like that, but I've got very little left to say about this movie because it is by far one of the weakest action pictures we've discussed on Canon quarantine so far. It's by far and, one and of the hurt. weakest. I mean, like again, go back to last week when Loisos and I talked for legitimately almost two hours about the last American Virgin, which isn't like a masterpiece of cinema or anything, but it provokes a lot of good questions and you at least get like, a lot of good stuff to talk about because at least you get the inkling that someone somewhere in the creative process of that film and some of these other canon films we've discussed gave half a shit in this movie nobody gave a fuck except for steve james who again is just man my god in heaven I also love how Steve James survives this one, unlike uh, Avenging Force. I appreciated that. Thankfully, because um, I love it when he fucking rolls up at the, with the armored personnel carrier and fucking with the giant fucking machine gun on the back of it. Like Rambo, yeah. It's so fucking great. He comes in with the heavy artillery, Hell for sure. yeah, man. So that, that, let's talk about that final action scene. So um, I, I just appreciate how much carnage and death is in this final scene. Um We've talked about the action a little bit. It's not directed with much finesse, but the camera is pulled back enough so you can see the action uh, take place. And there's a lot of extras. There's like tons of, not extras, but there, there's a ton happening on screen because there's lots of ninjas. There's lots of 
you know, um, and they're selling those deaths too, as we as we talked about in previous oh episodes. Oh my, are they selling the deaths? If you don't jiggle around three times in a row when you get shot or stabbed, you're not selling it. And all these motherfuckers sell it like it's their their life is depending on it. It's, it, it's what we've been talking about this entire series. These guys are pure sellers, just like in the wrestling industry. You got to sell those punches. You got to sell those stabs. You got to sell those shots. And these guys are just except for, except for all the all the extras in canon movies are selling it. Like if you ever watched the match of, of Shawn Michaels versus Hulk Hogan, where Shawn Michaels completely oversold every move Hulk Hogan did, like Hogan would punch him and Michaels would throw himself across Fly the air. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hogan would kick him and Michaels would leap like six feet off of the fucking man. He was well, he was known for that. He was known for overselling oh stuff like that. But. That was the greatest. Or like whenever whenever Stone Cold would give The Rock a Stone Cold stunner, The Rock always oh, way oversold the stunner. He'd Dude, like, he would jump two like feet in the air, times. man. Yeah. <laughs> More wrestling talk for Lois Just I know he loves it. You know he loves it. Just look at the look on his face. He's so excited. Yeah. As soon as we started talking dream- about The Rock, he's he dreaming with Sokka. And sock connection he's again. got Sako in bed. He's got Sako in bed. He's Sako is going to put his mouth on something tonight. <laughs> <laughs> There's one ninja who he flails as if he's you know getting peppered with bullets, and then he he starts to climb over the railing one leg at a time to fall over the edge. Did you guys notice that? <laughs> I had to rewind uh, it twice because I was laughing so hard. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so of course the movie is extremely simplistic and stupid up to this point, but it hasn't been fantasy until out of nowhere it's established that ninjas can literally just teleport or at, like disappear or shoot out fire. of nowhere. Well, yeah, is there they, also they have the ability to shoot lasers, here? shoot lasers their- out of their hands and shit. <laughs> But only that one time. They only had the budget to do the laser effect that one time. I, I liked it, though, because it, it gave that really classic 80s laser sound effect. I'm like, OK, I'm, I'm down with that. So at that point, I'm sure they were just like, uh, wh- what do we what do we do? Well, They're- the question is, the question is, here we go. Yes. Your action movie is only as good as your end action scene or fight scene or battle. So is the lead up, is the rest of this movie good enough to get to this ninja fight scene, all these ninjas, all these military guys? It sounds like Nick is saying no. I mean, it's digestible. I don't think I'll ever watch American Ninja again. You know what again, this said? This, this, it's, it's just like when I was watching the movie, like even trying to find anything interesting to tease out of this just it's not good. It's not offensively bad like King Solomon's Minds is, but it's just not good. It's just there's nothing engaging or interesting. The final fight with the Black Star Ninja, it's just it's I didn't it is care. What it is. I didn't care. Like there's yeah. like even the fight scene between the the ninja who is not even a part of the plot for most of the movie in Ninja 3 the Domination and the evil ninja, even that fight is better to watch than this fight is. Because you at least care because you're invested in Lucinda Dickey's character, who at this point is a spectator in the film. Like here, you just you just don't care because none of this is clear. There's no at no point did I ever understand why the ninjas were working for or with Victor Ortega. It doesn't make any sense to me. Whatsoever. Or why they were 
or why they were dressed in, in in black in the middle of the day. I mean, I guess that's what a ninja wears. I mean, right? But but uh, ninjas are supposed to be in the shadows, so that when they wear black, they blend they in. Blend in, yeah. It's but just... if you wear if if you wear all black, just like in the middle of <laughs> the daytime, it doesn't have quite the same effect. Yeah, like um, I'm I'm sorry, like this. I just don't. I, I don't think I can possibly muster any other words to say about this film, or I am going to slip into some kind of coma that only <laughs> Charles Bronson, Eamon Willby will, will, will somehow be able to pull me out of or, 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 or something. I'll need to hear like, like, like Bronson clips from death wish three or something to, to, to rouse me back to life. Cause this, this it's just, it's such a so true film. Like I, I I really and I I I can't even say this about King Solomon's Minds because at least we got to bash the shit out of it and hate it. I I wish I had done literally anything else but watch this movie because I just I feel like I got absolutely nothing out of it. Well, it's nothing. not good like you said. Like it's emptiness. not offensive. But it's also not so bad it's good, which we hope for exactly. out of these canon movies. That's exactly. exactly why we're doing this series. We're expecting, we're hoping so it's bad it's so good so we enjoy it, we get to pick on it and I'll, enjoy I'll it. I'll say it one last time. It's so lifeless. Just absolutely lifeless. If you, here's, ladies and gentlemen, if you, whenever you can go back to a dentist again, uh, okay, because I know that's still weird with the COVID thing or whatever, um, but when you can go back to a dentist and you need to be knocked out for a procedure, by all means, have the dentist put on American Ninja while you're in the <laughs> middle of the procedure and it'll knock you the fuck out. And when you wake up, your procedure will be over. You won't even need Novocaine or anything. It'll be all perfectly fine. Yeah, your bill Nick, will actually be cheaper. Nick, I don't I don't think I necessarily. I mean, yes, the movie in comparison to other canon movies we've watched is not very exciting. Um, the movie has a very uh tedious structure in which you have like the villain okay you have a scene where the villains talk about go kill the american and then you have an action scene with dudikoff and the ninjas and then another scene with the villain saying is the american dead yet go kill him (laughs) go back and kill him (laughs) over and over and over again so i mean it's literally a gi joe cartoon but in movie form it has some entertaining kills i won't say it doesn't have some entertaining kills but that's i mean it's 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 char- it's charming in fits and spurts, but I, I mean, like I said, uh, the script feels like it was written by an actual ten year old. I mean, even for a canon film, it has remarkably liter- little substance. Yeah. Um, even Kickboxer, for all its banality, had more going on in terms of story. Oh, Kickboxer is a fucking masterpiece compared to American Ninja. Well, Make I'm- no mistake, the action scenes are so fucking well put together compared to this. Not even funny. So I think if you had your choice of 80s ninja movies that were directed by Sam Furstenberg and released by canon, I would go with the infinitely more entertaining Ninja 3, The Domination. Holy God. A million Um, times over. This is going to sound silly, me saying this, but American Ninja is not Sam Furstenberg's finest hour. (laughs) (laughs) It's not. And that's why it is one of the weakest entries in our ongoing hashtag canon quarantine series. I was not disappointed because I've watched this movie more than once before, so I knew what I was getting into. I was mostly drunk the last few times. I will so say I will that- say this for it. I got to see Steve James without a shirt on again. 
And I, I will say a pretty spectacular helicopter explosion. That was my other favorite part of the film. That was fucking hilarious. <laughs> I about fell out of my chair laughing at that. That was great. I love that they yeah. jump off onto this, like from the helicopter onto this roof. You can where see, yeah, you could clearly like a big landing pad, like right yeah, on top of the fucking pad, yeah, roof, right there. You and can then, see like, it. Like Steve James fires the fucking rocket at the helicopter, and then it's clearly like this prop helicopter or like a toy or some whatever the fuck it is. Little I model, have no yeah. Fucking idea. But dude, so the, the rocket funny. launcher he has looks like ten times larger than it needs to be. It's fucking gigantic. Just makes him look more muscular and masculine, which he definitely already is anyway. I mean, but just what man yeah. doesn't want to be like I Steve just, James? I, like I said, I, I really, I honest to God, I feel like my time would have been better spent if I had done almost anything else. I can't even hate the movie because it just affected me so, so little. Would icing your balls better more fun than this? Probably. Except for the score. For the score of this movie was the only thing I vehemently hated because it's, again, bad. It's, it's just a trash-ass score. Trash-ass trash indeed. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, this was, again, your pick for hashtag Canon Quarantine. You could have had Murphy's Law. You, you could have had, had Murphy's it. Law. You could have. Now, next week on the show, ladies and gentlemen, next week on the show, no hashtag canon quarantine and that's because ladies and gentlemen i am the law drop your weapons a movie that is so oversaturated with amazing things i will probably literally explode at the seams when we're talking about it the seam is the head of my dick i'm gonna come everywhere <laughs> 1995's mm. thank you for that look like sauce 1995's Judge Dread Sylvester Stallone Armand Asante is still stretching out the syllables in law <laughs> we're just gonna have Loisas do that the entire next episode just scream I'm so excited the whole, I'm so excited so full retrospective on that so no hashtag canon quarantine next week canon quarantine will return the week following probably we've also got an inception look back 10 years of inception coming up in mid-july so that's coming up in there somewhere i've got some stuff planned with brad from the cinema guys again including Waterworld, dear god in heaven i haven't watched Waterworld probably since it came out and i am <sighs> I, uh, I I purchased the 4K disc last summer, and I have yet to watch it all the way through, but that's that's an interesting one to talk about. I, I would love to revisit that one. Yeah. And also, B-Sides. Ooh, is there another B-Side coming? Is there? You bet your sweet ass. <laughs> there may or may not be something I feel to like, celebrate. I feel like Loisos hesitated there because he didn't know if he wanted to swear, but then he was like, yeah, I'm going for it. <laughs> I, I started to say sweet bippy. Aww. I just anyway. wanted to leave that hang out there for, for just a second. So, yeah, uh, Sylvester Stallone, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I don't know. Monday, so this coming week. Maybe not. Maybe maybe there won't be one. I don't know. I need a break from doing things. I've been overworking the shit out of myself, especially with all of this working out and all this fitness and everything that we've been going on. Speaking of fitness, ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening to this and you have not 
yet joined. Uh, I'm going to be putting out more details on it soon, but the July Fitness Challenge is on, and the EFG Fitness Challenge now has its own group on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash groups slash EFG Fitness Challenge, all one word. Get in there, join in 40 miles 40 miles in celebration of my 40th birthday, which is looming in the month of July. And we're going to do a virtual 8K. That's a five-mile race over the weekend uh, before my birthday. So it's going to be really, really fun. And I really, really hope that as many people as possible can get in there. And we're going to give away an EFG prize pack. An EFG prize pack. Uh, That's going to include snippings of Loisos's very own D'Artagnan beard, which he says he's going to shave. But if he does, we're kicking him off the show. He's never coming back. Until he grows it back, and then, of course, we we will welcome him back with open arms. <laughs> hey, remember remember in uh, in in the last American Virgin how open arms just blared over like two different scenes, even though there were scene <laughs> transitions in the middle of it for no fucking reason whatsoever. Oh boy, do I! <sighs> God, that movie has one of the best eighty soundtracks of all time, though. God, I hope you guys talked about. We that. talked about it, and and we t- we 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 talked about how baffled we were that all of those songs existed at the same exact point in time in a canon movie of yeah, all things. I know it is insane, mystifying that they got, to me. That, that, still, that they paid or however they got them in there. It's still I, crazy. I still don't understand it. I really, really still don't understand it. I just have to feel that it was so early on. Compilations weren't as much of a known thing as they are now like maybe they were just clamoring be like ooh all these songs in the same movie we're going to sell like gangbusters i don't know <sighs> i don't know ladies and gentlemen but uh we love you we really really appreciate you taking the time to tune in to the show if you want to just follow the show on social media loisos where can they find us they can find us on facebook twitter and instagram at epic film guys you can also feel free to Join the family. Join in the conversation on our official fan group. Do it. The, Hobes, the Hobster's Dumpster. Facebook.com slash groups slash Epic Film Guys. Hang out with us. We'd love to have you. Thank you, listeners. We love you. Yes, a, yes, yes. Nick, Justin, this is so much fun. Every single week, I look squirt forward to that it. freely. Is that what's so much fun? Squirting yeah. it freely? Yeah, the soundboard, the cum jokes, all of it. We're squirting everything here, and we're going to continue to do so. Who knows what's going to happen to the show when movies start going back into theaters. I don't know. At the end of next month, possibly, it's looking like it's going to happen with Christopher Nolan's Tenet. We don't know. And Mulan. How is it going to... Yeah, well, Mulan. That's correct, yes. So, we'll see what happens, ladies and gentlemen. We'll always be here for you. I ain't going back to nowhere. I'm never watching a new movie again. I only exist. I only live and exist in the canon universe now. (laughs) Look what I did to this motherfucker. Did you hear what Nick just said? I did hear what he said. Did I create a monster here? I begged for so many years. Every day for the rest of eternity. (laughs) (laughs) I begged for years to get a canon movie on here. Then, oh, well. There's a really strange sickness going around the country, and that means theaters are closed. Ne- ne- next thing you know, canon movies, Listen, that's all we're doing. we could have done anything, too, ladies and gentlemen. We could have done literally anything. We could have scrounged every streaming service we could find to watch every single pathogen or virus or outbreak-related movie that you could possibly find, which is still the weirdest pull to me. I don't understand why people were like, there's a pandemic sweeping the world. Let's watch every let's movie watch about Contagion. one. Let's watch Contagion. Yeah, let's watch we'll never outbreak. ever understand that. No thanks. We could have just no, like, picked a genre like Westerns. We could have picked a decade like the 50s or something or whatever. Nick, 
We could have picked something that actually would have got us downloads. I mean, listen, somebody is still, listen, our Death Wish 3 episode is crushing it right now. It's actually it, it doing really, really, is, really yeah. well. So I don't want to hear Listen, our it. two biggest episodes right now are Batman Forever and Death Wish 3. What does that tell you? People want to hear about all kinds of movies, especially the movies that people like to hate on. You know so. what else people want? People want the sauce. Mm-hmm. And on that note. <laughs> and on that note, I'm going ladies and gentlemen, to bed, we love baby. you. We absolutely appreciate you tuning into the show again. Thank you so, so much, everybody out there for listening, for myself, for Justin, and for the beautiful, wonderful, amazing God of Podcasting. Thank you so, so much for listening. Until next time, we will see you at the movies he said he sucked the blood from the penis and scrotum and put the balls in his mouth <laughs> <laughs>